and we're going to give him the glory. Are you glad to be here? This is the day that the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Come on and clap your hands. Come on, come on. Let me see you clap. Let me see you clap. Here we go. Wandering into the night. Wanting a place to hide this weary soul. This bag of bones And I try with all my mind But I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting A bag of bones Hey, come on, say And just when
you're free indeed. So this is what I want you to do today. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. You say, get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave.
Converge Church. Let's fill this room with worship. Come on, I know we can do better than that. Let's fill this room with our worship and adoration and praise. Worthy. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. And this morning, God, we choose as an act of our will to make your name famous, to make your name glorious. We thank you, Lord, that you've been given a name that is far above every other name. 
that at that name every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, God, we draw near with reverence, with gratitude, and we speak blessing, Father, over that name. Your name, Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and find refuge. We find safety this morning in the worthy name, in the matchless name, in the holy name of Jesus, Yeshua, Messiah, our Savior. Jesus, we bless you. We glorify you now in Jesus' name. It's our tradition here at Converge Church that on the first Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion together. It's an opportunity for us to remember the finished work of the cross. In fact, today, Palm Sunday, is the first day of what we call in the church Holy Week. And it's a countdown uh, to the resurrection of Jesus, the most important moment in human history. That 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so this morning, as we gather, we do so in remembrance of him. You know, John chapter 13 records what we refer to as the Last Supper, that Jesus gathered with his disciples, and on this fateful night, only moments, only moments from being betrayed with a kiss, he gathered with his disciples, and broke bread one last time. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you eat this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. This morning we get to do that. And as we partake of the symbol of his broken body, we remember his death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this symbol of your broken body in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your great love wherewith you loved us. That even while we were far away from you, you demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus to die on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that we are accepted in the beloved, your sons and daughters, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son. We thank you for it now, that this bread is blessed to our bodies and our lives to your service. In Jesus' name, take now and eat. Thank you, Lord. The scripture says on that same night, Jesus also took the cup and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And as often as you drink from this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. Scripture declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And this morning, we're grateful that because his body was broken and his blood was shed on our behalf, we now have access to the Father that we can boldly come to his throne of grace without hesitation or reservation because of the blood. 
So, Father, we thank you for the precious holy blood of your son, Jesus, that in the blood we have forgiveness of sin, that, God, you've dealt with condemnation and guilt and shame on the cross when all we had was fig leaves to cover ourselves. You gave us the blood. You gave us the blood. And so, Lord, this morning we stand before you without condemnation, without shame or guilt, because you dealt with it on the cross. And now we can draw near to you. And your promise is that as we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. We do that now with worship, with thanksgiving, with gratitude for the high price that you paid, for the debt you erased, a debt you didn't owe. You did it all. You did it all for us. In fact, right where you are, just simply say this after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did it all for me. Yeah. As if there's no one else in the room. As if the only one he sees is you. The scripture declares that, that Jesus bowed down and saw no one but the woman caught in adultery. Even in the midst of a crowd. And right now, he sees no one but you. In this crowded room, in this busy, bustling world, he sees no one but you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. He sees you. He hears you. Every tear, every silent prayer, every petition, the tear-soaked pillow. The worn-out carpet where you knelt and prayed and asked God. The path in your room where you have walked and prayed and asked. He sees. He sees no one but you. So, Lord, would you meet your people now at the point of their need? God, for some, it might be spiritual. God, for some, this morning, it might be emotional. For some, physical. For some, material or even financial. Jesus, your body was broken. Because you saw no one but me. You did it all for me. We receive that now, Father. Your personal love. Personal love. That you left the 99. And you went after the one. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. 
And I don't know why I'm overwhelmed with emotion. But he left the 99. And if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered if you mattered, if you ever wondered if you were valued, if you've ever wondered if you were seen, but no one else did. Our God still sees. No one but you. So Lord, we thank you again for the cup. We receive, Father, forgiveness of sin. And we receive the sweet communion and fellowship that comes from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, amen. Take now and drink. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. Yeah. 
Make some noise in this house this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that your spirit is heavy in this room right now. God, as we enter into Holy Week, I pray that we would be reminded that in the kingdom of heaven, we don't get victory without the sacrifice. We don't get power without humility. We don't get the lion without the lamb. Lord, let us be reminded that your death and resurrection was not just an event that happened in history, Lord. It was an event that changed history so that our futures could forever be transformed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. We lift this service up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Make some noise for the Lord this morning, and you may be seated. I'm trying to get my thoughts together. I'm ready to have some church. Well, welcome. We're happy that you are here. We want to first send a shout out to our first time guests. We're so thankful that you would carve out a time of your weekend to come spend that time with us. Wanted to let you know that we, uh, our, our pastors would love to meet you right after the service at the Welcome Center. Want to make sure I use the proper term, the Welcome Center just outside the sanctuary. And... Um, also, be sure to follow us on social media. We are at We Are Converge on pretty much everything but TikTok, correct? Oh, yeah, here you go, right here. And on Twitter, it's We underscore R underscore Converge. Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, find us, follow us. Uh, it's a way to stay connected, right? We, we, we can only do so much right here, so we're trying to utilize this social media resource we have to stay connected and communicate with you. Amen. We're going to keep the announcements rolling. There we go. We got some, uh, oh, yeah, 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 the U version. We are following in the, the Lent series right now. Um, and, and if you haven't even read a day yet, you can go ahead and start right now. No better time than on Sunday, the day one of Holy Week, to jump right in, get things going, and... Um, Connect with us there on version as well. Oh, and then my favorite announcement, we've got Converge students that meet on the second and fourth Sunday. We are in a series right now called Hashtag Facts. If you have a middle school or high school student, we would love for you to send them to us on every second and fourth Sunday. We will not meet on Easter Sunday, okay? So we will resume on April 23rd. And then V groups. V groups, V groups, sorry, V groups, we have two right now. We have Converge Her that meets on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. And then, yeah, make some noise, ladies. And then we've got our Saturday morning fight club for the men. Yeah, what's up? But we won't meet this Sunday or this Saturday because we have some events that Miss Andrea is going to be telling us about right now. I do. Thank you so much, Trey. So we've got a lot planned in the next few weeks, and we want to make sure that you guys lock these dates in, starting with our schedule for Easter weekend. So next Friday is Good Friday. We're going to have a Good Friday communion and worship experience at 7 p.m. right here at 1611 Wilmoth. We will have communion, worship, and the seven last words or the seven last sayings of Jesus. So we want you to join us on Friday, but on Saturday, we want you to join us again. We are going to have an amazing Easter egg hunt for our littles from 11 to 1 on Saturday the 8th. Um, we'll have more information um, in just a second that we want to share about some of what we're doing to prepare for that, but come. It's, we're going to have a maze. We're going to have crafts. 
games, food, lots of fun. It's a family-friendly event. We want you guys to meet us there. And then on Sunday, we're going to cap the weekend off with a special Resurrection Sunday worship experience at 10 a.m. where we are going to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So join us next weekend. But in preparation for that amazing weekend, and there is a lot planned, there are a few things that we need from you guys. The first thing is that we're asking if you can to donate plastic Easter eggs and candy so that we can fill the eggs with all kinds of fun and goodness so that when the kids run into the maze next Saturday, they have lots of eggs to find. So we are receiving, I promise I can talk, we are receiving uh, those collections, those donations at receptacles in the lobby and at the doors. And we'll be doing that through Friday. Converge her. If you're going to come on Wednesday, you can bring them on Wednesday. We're going to be getting the word and filling the eggs in preparation. So that's number one. Number two, we need you to come out and serve. We do have lots of opportunities, like I said, for the games and for the crafts and for the maze. So if you would like to register to serve with us next Saturday, there'll be a QR code on the screen. You can do that. In particular, you heard Trey give a shout out to Fight Club. We are calling our men. Yes. We need our men to show up to help put the maze together and clean up afterwards. So scan the QR code. Register for one or two opportunities to serve. We would appreciate it. And then last. So just because we're not having Fight Club, we're going to utilize that time this weekend to I mean, serve. Y'all are in the habit of getting here at Come 8 o'clock anyway. It's already in the habit. That's right. <laughs> so let's do it, guys. And then last, we are asking if you're going to join us, please register so that we can be prepared, so that we can adequately prepare, have an accurate headcount for food and all the great things that we want to have available for you. So there is yet another QR code on the screen. Scan that. Just let us know your name and how many adults and children are coming. We would appreciate it. It's just going to help us prepare. If you miss any of the QR codes, we will send out an email blast that also has all this information, so don't worry. The last two things that I want to make you guys aware of are on Sunday, April 16th. The first one is water baptism. If you have made a recent first-time decision to follow Christ, or if you've been a believer for a while but you haven't been baptized by immersion, this service is for you. So we have a QR code on the screen for water baptism. Scan it. Sign up to be baptized. We'll get all the pertinent information to you about what's going to happen on that day. And then again on Sunday, April 16th, we will have next steps. So if you've been visiting us for a while, you're considering joining, or you want to learn more about our mission, our vision, our culture, and our core values here at Converge, Next Steps was designed with you in mind. And this last QR code, register. We will get you guys set up. We'll have lunch for you. And we just want you to come out and um, come out. We look forward to seeing you guys at all of these various events. We love you. We appreciate you. The next person that you're going to hear from is Pastor Jesse for the Bless Life segment. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Converge Church. Are you glad to be here today? Look at someone and smile. Look at someone and say, you look good. Look at someone and say, I like your new shoes. Look at someone and say, I like your hair. Look at someone and say, I just like you. Good morning, good morning, Converge Church. I hope that you're glad to be, hope that you're here today because you want to be. There are many places you could be, but we're so glad that you're here with us today. 
The Bible says that Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how much he loved us. And so today we get the opportunity to show God how much we love him by honoring him with everything that we own. We give God our first and we give God our best. Today, this is our blessed life worship time. So we worship God in our giving this morning. Please, if you need an envelope, please raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. There are also some envelopes in the back of the seat that's in front of you. You can also use that as well. Please, somebody say please. Fill out the envelope legibly so that I might be able to read it and that we may give you a proper accounting. All right? So if you give me an email, please take your time. And that's what's hard for me sometimes, those emails. Fill that email out so that I can read it and so that we can update your records and so that you can have what's necessary in your record. All right? A couple other ways you can give. You can also give online at weareconverged.com. You can also give by downloading our app, the We Are Converged app, and you can click on the Give icon, and you can give that way as well. You can also text 77977, and you can give that way as well. You can also give through, our, through your Cash app, and you can also give through Zelle. If you give through Zelle, please use the accounting at weareconverged.com email so that we may receive that quickly and expeditiously. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, how many know he's worthy? The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise you the Lord. Come on, somebody. I don't know. You shouldn't have gave me the mic today, Pastor Ray. I'm going to be good. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's receive God's offerings today. Heavenly Father, we are excited that we get to celebrate your son, Jesus. God, you haven't come and picked us up yet, and so we're going to be right here. We're going to occupy until you get here, and we're going to worship you. We're going to praise you. And so, God, today we ask you to bless the tithes and offerings that we give today. God, we give them cheerfully. We give them because we want to give our very best. We thank you, almighty God, how we've seen you bless Converge Church God, you've blessed us in so many ways. God, in physical ways. God, in healings and buildings. And, and God, in just so many ways. In the increase of people. And God, we just thank you. And we thank you, God, that as we give today, that your tithes and your offerings, that we will be the kinds of stewards that you expect for us to be. And God, we will accomplish and achieve what you want to accomplish and achieve here at Converge Church. Thank you for the blessings, O oh Lord. Bless your people even more. In Jesus' name, amen. The next day, the great crowd that had gathered heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This crowd praised him. They celebrated his miracles and with great expectation told everyone about him. But they did not know him. They were waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might. But he came as a humble servant. They wanted him to finally bring their people glory. But he wanted to change them so their lives would bring God glory. 
They were expecting a general who would crush their enemies. But he came, saying, love your enemies. They thought he could offer them deliverance from their oppressors, but he came offering deliverance from sin. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus wasn't going to be what they wanted, and they turned on him before they ever realized he was what they needed. So as they yelled, crucify, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus answered, I am not that kind of king. His kingdom isn't what you see here. It won't be established by chaos and war. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He is the humble king, the king of healing, the king of forgiveness, the king of love. Today, we lift our voices. We cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sin. Come dwell in our hearts. Hosanna, we worship you. Jesus Christ, our king. morning Converge Nation. Let's bring the house lights up. Are you excited to be in the house this morning? I'm super excited because I've been gone for over two weeks and I have missed you guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was in Liberia where I'm from originally and uh, uh, I can't give the details uh, uh, just because of the sensitivity uh, of the trip, but God gave us incredible favor. Uh, met with uh, uh, decision makers in Liberia and let me just say this man, Converge Church uh, we're going to be a part of transforming a nation for good, to the glory of God. Amen? Uh, I'm going to save some of the news for later, simply because we have people who watch uh, from across the country here and uh, from Liberia as well, uh, but because of the sensitivity of some of what we did, uh, we'll leave it at that. Listen, I felt your prayers, your prayers for me, your prayers with me, your prayers for the nation of Liberia. God opened, listen to me opened so many incredible doors of favor. You know, Proverbs 22 says it this way, see a man skillful in his business, he will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. We believe that for you, that part of your calling is not just limited to what you do within the four walls of this church. God wants to raise you up to stand before great men, to stand before great women, to influence what happens in the public square and to influence what happens in culture. We believe right here at Converge Church, God is raising up giants. Come on, somebody. Y'all act like y'all believe it. Now, I'm talking about you. That is God's plan. That is God's purpose. That is God's portion for you. And that's why Paul said it over there in Romans chapter 11 that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. One translation says they are irrevocable. God doesn't change his mind about 
he, about what he called, created, and chose you to do. In fact, I've said this, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times here at Converge, it bears repeating. As, especially since we're in the series called The Chosen. Somebody say, that's me. You're called of God and chosen by God for such a time as this. None of it random, none of it haphazard. And that's why here at Converge Church, this is what we say. Who you are and what you were created to accomplish is not for you to decide, it's for you to discover. Because God decided that a long time ago. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says it this way, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. You know what that means? God knew you long before anybody had an opinion about you, including yourself. Long before you had an inflated estimation of yourself or a deflated estimation of yourself, God knew you. In fact, he knew the worst about you. Psalm 139 says he knew our lives all together even before one of them came to be. Every mistake, every misstep, and guess what? He still chose you. That's good news this morning. Who you are, what God has called you to accomplish is not for you to decide, it's for you to discover because it's God-appointed, not self-assumed. And this morning, as we continue this sermon series, we're in week four, which, by the way, everybody show your love for Trey Smith, local motives, talking about the sons of thunder, man, James and John, and they were fixated on who would sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. Sometimes we can follow Jesus for the wrong reason. And I think that sermon gave us a reason to stop long enough to look internally, ask ourselves, Pastor Wendy, though, yeah, that's my girl, called to be chosen, called to be chosen, incredible word. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to, uh, for a few moments, for a few moments. Y'all can hear how raspy I am. I was traveling for about 24 hours, didn't get in until after 7 p.m. And uh, I was up early this morning, as if y'all had seen your pastor, three weeks with no haircut. I look like Moses, y'all, if y'all seen all that gray. So I got up early this morning, 6 a.m., go get a haircut, y'all. So Pastor Ray is tired. And the good news for you, is that you're only going to get one close today. And the church said, amen. Praise the Lord. Today is what we traditionally refer to as Palm Sunday, a reference to the triumphal to Jerusalem. Jesus has spent three and a half years pouring into 12 men and the multitudes who would become his successors. Notice the pattern of God. You've heard me say it before this way. Understand the plan, follow the pattern, receive the promise. In fact, say that with me. Understand the plan, 
God, God has a plan. There's, there, there, no, 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 not that part. Uh, God, God, God has a plan. Uh, nothing takes it by surprise. And absolutely nothing God does is random or, here it is, reactive. He is a God who sees the end from the beginning. So there is absolutely new and nothing that you and I will do that God will react to because he's already factored into your life every good thing, every bad thing, every right thing and every wrong thing because he is still the God who sees the end of a thing from the beginning. God has a plan. That means God has a plan for your life. And he has a plan for my life. And it's a plan to give us a hope and a future and an expected end. That's good news. But it's true, while it's true that God has a plan, uh, God is also a God of patterns. God is a God of patterns. And when we understand the patterns and the rhythms of God, uh, we'll begin to walk in the promises of God. Here's the pattern. Here's the pattern that we see in the text. Y'all ready for this? Jesus spent 30 years, 30 years preparing for three and a half years of ministry. 30 years of obscurity for three and a half years of notoriety. Most of us want to train for three years for a 30-year career. There might be some in this room right now who are saying, Lord, write 30 days. There might be some of us in this room, Lord, why hasn't my moment, why hasn't my moment come yet? And God said, if you observe my pattern, I do my best work in obscurity and isolation. 30 years, preparing for three and a half years of ministry. Three and a half years that would change the world. Abraham Lincoln is celebrated as one of the finest presidents of these United States. Ran for public office. Seven times, unsuccessfully, an eighth time became president of the United States of America. You know one of the things that Abraham Lincoln said? I will study, I will prepare, my time will come. I'm talking to the people who think they're still in a place of obscurity. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you recognize that it is in the seasons of obscurity that you study and prepare because your time will surely come. Why is that important? Success favors the prepared. If God were to give you everything you wanted now, would you really be ready to steward it? And the power of what God wants to do in your life next, because he has called you, he has chosen you. The power of what God desires to do in your life next is determined by what you do in the waiting season. 
May I also submit to you this morning, Converge Church, that your obedience to God schedules your seasons. Well, I'm just waiting on God. Well, hold up now. God could be waiting on you. Because God had one lesson for the Israelites in the wilderness. And it took them 40 years to get it. And every time they missed the lesson, because of their disobedience, God said, let's, let, let's, let's take one more lap around this desert. When you come back around, I'm going to give you this test again. If you pass the test, you go to the next grade. You don't get to second grade until you pass the test in first grade. If you don't pass the test in first grade, what you going to do? Repeat first grade. So here we, here we go. Lord, why does every day of my life seem like Groundhog Day? Every day is more the same. Listen, your obedience schedules your seasons. Obey God. And maybe it won't take so long. Y'all got quiet in this Presbyterian church. Are y'all tracking what I'm saying? The pattern of God. 30 years of obscurity for three and a half years of notoriety. But your waiting season will not be a wasted season if you'll prepare. And let me tell you how I know when I'm in faith or not. I know when I'm in faith when I am preparing for what I believe God is going to do next. How do I know that Noah was a man of faith? He built the ark before it rained. And how long was he building the ark before it rained? 40 years. That's how I know you're in faith. Because you're preparing while you I just want you to take a minute introspectively and ask yourself that question. What am I preparing for? What have I been preparing for? Because that will be the gauge of where your faith is. If you're preparing for that promotion, it's going to be evidenced in what you do with your time. Okay, let me get back to the scripture. Because now, Jesus is 33 and a half years old. And this is the final week of his life. What we're about to read is the fulfillment of centuries-old prophecy that God would send a deliverer who would redeem Israel from their oppression. And Jesus is about to be the fulfillment of of this prophecy. May I stop there for a second and just say this? Can I just encourage you this morning? Hey! Everything God creates, he creates to be the solution to a problem. Everything. You know what that means? When God created you, 
He created you because there was a, a problem or there is a problem that exists in the earth right now that he called, created, and fashioned you to solve. My part is to discover the problem he created me to solve. Amen? So the nation of Israel has been waiting for centuries for Messiah. And in Matthew chapter 21, we begin reading from the text that will give us context for what I'll share this morning. In fact, if I had to choose a title for today's message, it would simply be this. <laughs> so sorry to disappoint you. I'm not what you expected. Yeah. Because as we read the text, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, the nation of Israel is expecting one thing, but Jesus is about to reveal that he came for something entirely different. Come on, somebody. This morning, I'm going to talk to you all about unmet expectations. Because the truth is, the story of Palm Sunday revolves around this singular idea, not only that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming into Jerusalem, but the fact that the people are placing upon Jesus expectations that he was never created or intended to. I'm talking to somebody this morning who might be wrestling with unmet expectations they've had of God. You expected him to show up one way, and he showed up an entirely different way. Are y'all listening to me this morning? So sorry to disappoint you. I'm not what you expected. Where should I start? Let's start with the text. Everything I said up until now was just my introduction. You can start. Come on, somebody say that one more time. Take your time, Pastor. Come on, somebody. Y'all there with me? Listen. Uh, join me, join me in Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. That is our anchor text for this morning, and I trust that the Lord will give us wisdom and insight uh, for application to our lives today. That will be more than just a narrative captured in the canon of Scripture, but that we will find something from this sacred text that we can apply to our lives right here and right now. The Word of God doesn't just exist for head knowledge, it exists for life transformation. And that life transformation happens when we apply the word of God to our lives. So this morning, here, here, with the intent to do. Hmm? Let's not just be hearers of the word, let's be doers also. Because James admonishes us, and this is what he said, uh, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't think that just because you heard the word, something productive happened. 
He says if we just hear the word and don't do the word, we do what? Deceive ourselves. So we're going to go a step beyond just being hearers. Amen? We're going to be doers of the word. But it's because it is in the doing of the word that our lives are transformed. All right? Y'all tracking with me? Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. Uh, so here it is. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord. Somebody say, the Lord has need of them. I've preached from this text before, and I did a message called, Loose it, bring it, the Lord has need of them. There are some things in our lives that God, first of all, has to loose us from, and then we have to be brought to the Lord, because the Lord has need of you. May I say that to you this morning? God has need of you. God has need of me. And God needs us to be at our best so that we can be useful vessels in the hands of the master. He looses us and then brings us because he has need of us. Verse 4 says, all of this happened so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you <laughs> lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. I, I, I love the, 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 the imagery there. Because, as I mentioned before, I'm from Liberia, and one of the things that we do in Liberia to celebrate or, or honor someone is typically the women, they have two uh, wraps uh, that they wear like skirts, and to honor someone who is noble, or just it could be a wedding for the bride and the groom, or it could be for someone who's a dignitary, uh, when, when they're celebrating... Uh, the, the, the procession, they take off their, what we call a lapa. They will take off their lapa and put the lapa down so the person can walk on it. And it is a huge sign of respect. It is a huge sign of honor. And it usually happens during a celebration. So when I'm reading the text, I'm like, man, I didn't know Jesus was from Liberia. Come on, somebody. That's the PRV, the Pastor Ray version. And so Jesus rides in on these garments that they had laid out for him. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches 
This is where we get the, the idea of, of, of Palm Sunday because they cut down these palm branches from the trees and they spread them on the road, but they also waved them in celebration. That's another thing that we also do in Liberia, not just the lapa, but also the palm branches, and we wave them in celebration. And verse 9 says, Then the multitudes went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And, and so this anticipation and the expectation of the advent of Messiah had reached feverish pitch. In fact, the whole city was turned upside down because they said to themselves, this prophecy that we've been awaiting for centuries is now fulfilled. Messiah is here. And so Jesus rides in, and the euphoria, come on somebody, the expectation has reached an all-time high. Because in the mind of the Jew, they realized that someone is finally here to set us free from Roman oppression. They had been subject to the rule of Rome, oppressed, and it's about to stop because there is a redeemer who is going to change everything. Now, again, uh, the, the Jews in their history were very familiar with this pattern, especially as you read, read the Old Testament. The Jews would disobey God, and then for 40 years, they would live under the oppression of the Midianites or the Philistines, and then God would raise somebody up to deliver them. He would raise up Gideon. He would raise up Samson. He would raise up David. And so in the mind of the Jew, they're saying, God's about to do what he's always done. Because we've seen this pattern where God's going to raise somebody up and set us free. but they're looking for someone like David. They're looking for someone like Gideon. They're looking for someone who's going to set them free with a sword. And so the scripture continues, and I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. In verse number 10, and when he had come into the city, Notice what the scripture says. It says the whole city was moved. The whole city. I mean, imagine. And this is kind of hard to imagine, but just indulge me for a second. Imagine you're living in Dallas and the Cowboys just won the Super Bowl. I'm just picking on the Cowboys fans. That would be a notable miracle, somebody said, right? Wow. Imagine how the entire city would be moved. The celebration that the Cowboys are champions. What's happening in Jerusalem on this day is even greater because in their minds, Messiah has come. 
And they said, who is this man? Verse 11 says, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. For the few minutes I have with you, I'm just going to answer that question. Who is this man? Who is this man to you? Because the Jews had one expectation of Jesus that didn't match the assignment of Jesus. And may I submit to you that for every person in this room who has ever wrestled with, grappled with, experienced, been on the receiving end of disappointment, it is typically the direct result of an unmet expectation. So sorry to disappoint you. I'm not what you expected. Now, now, can I just say a couple of things about expectation? I mean, before we do that, let me just define it, and I'm going to be out your way, because I'm going to go fast and furious, because I'm trying to get home and get some tea for my throat. Y'all can hear me already. Expectation is defined, here it is, a strong belief or conviction. That means, in a lot of ways, you're firmly persuaded about this thing. A strong belief or conviction that something will happen or that it will be the case in the future. Are y'all with me? It is a strong belief or a conviction that something will happen or it will be the case in the future. Come on. It is a belief that someone will or should achieve something. Those definitions help us understand a couple of things. That we can have expectations about situations, but we can also have expectations of people. We deal with disappointment when situations don't turn out the way we expected. We have disappointment in people when they don't show up for us the way we thought they would or thought they should. I, I, I'm going somewhere with this. Are y'all tracking with me? Hmm? Now, now, may I say this about expectations? There are some expectations that are understood meaning they are generally accepted cultural norms. Like you should be faithful to your spouse. Come on, somebody. I like that corner right there. There's no discussion, no debate about it. That is understood. However, comma, as Pastor Wendy would say, there are some expectations that are assumed. And those assumed expectations usually come from our individual experiences. That just because 
This is my history. Of course, you should understand this. And we make assumptions about what people think, how they will react, or how they will behave, because that's my experience. And when people don't respond, based on my assumptions, it can result in disappointment. Why Jesus can't do what Gideon did? Why Jesus can't do what David did? Are y'all with me? Here's the third one. Uh, expectations that are unmet. Let me tell you about those unmet expectations. The unmet expectations usually come, and the version of unmet expectations I'm going to talk to you about uh, are the expectations that go unmet when you thought you had discussed it. Let me, let me tell you about the, 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 one of the biggest errors with what we call communication. It is the assumption that it has occurred. Well, I told you. Well, hold up now. The fact that you said it doesn't necessarily mean I heard it. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about real talk now. And the fact that you said it, well, maybe I heard it. Doesn't necessarily mean I agreed to it. I'm getting into stuff I need to leave alone right here. I can already see the body language. I saw you leaning into him like this. All of a sudden, I saw you rotate. Come on, let me leave that alone. That's a whole, right, somebody said it's a whole sermon. What we're dealing with right here is the expectations that the nation of Israel had put on God. In fact, during his ministry, Jesus attempted to communicate to his disciples, his inner circle, first, who he was. And as you read the text, over and over and over, after three and a half years, they still didn't get it. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus shows up and he's having this conversation with his disciples. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of what we read in scripture is uh, sort of a, a behind the scenes look. We're eavesdropping on Jesus' private conversations with his inner circle. So one day, Jesus says, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Again, these are in the final moments of his life, Matthew chapter 16. He comes to Caesarea Philippi, and while he's there, he says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Uh, here it is. What's the word on the street about me? And the truth is, no matter who you are, it's usually a curiosity. We want to know what people think about us. So Jesus says to his, his, his inner circle, 
They've been walking with him for three years, three and a half. He says, who do men say that I am? And they all responded, oh, man, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And they all had an answer for Jesus about these misrepresentations of him. They were more familiar with the incorrect narrative about Jesus than what he had been trying to teach them privately. There's something about human filters that have a difficult time hearing what we don't want to hear. Some of us wrestle with truth that is inconvenient and uncomfortable. And even though somebody has made it crystal clear and plain to you, you only want to hear what you want to hear, how you want to hear it. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? Jesus had been telling them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He had been telling them, I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the bread of life. Here's, here's what boggles my mind. Y'all ready for this? He asked them, everybody, oh, this is what they're saying about you. Everybody had a response. He said, well, who do you? Because it's okay if they get it wrong. Because they don't have the same access that you have. It's okay if they misrepresent me and don't understand me, but you walk with me. You sleep with me. You eat with me. Who do you say that I am? And let me tell you the problem I got with the text. Stephen, it's not Peter's profound answer that follows. My problem is the silence of the 11. Y'all ain't listening to what I'm saying. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? The fact that 11 of his 12 disciples knew what everybody else was saying about him. But when he asked them, how do you perceive me? It took divine intervention. On the one hand, it's pretty cool that Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. God revealed it to you. But it, did it really have to take all of that? After I've been with you this long? Because if they didn't get it, surely the multitudes didn't get it. Go somewhere with this. Sometimes the people closest to you I'm gonna let y'all fill in the blank. But sometimes it's the people closest to you that you wish would get it. That you wish would see you as you are. Oh, here it is. That they would give you permission to just be you. Instead of the version of you that they have created. And the multitudes would not allow Jesus to just be Jesus. They insisted. That if you're the Messiah, you are going to free us from Roman oppression. 
Jesus said, that ain't what I signed up for. And they wouldn't allow him to be the authentic version of himself. Can I unpack this for y'all? I'm talking about unmet expectations. Mm. Y'all ready? Uh, there, there is this, this term in psychology called, y'all ready for this? Idealistic distortion. <laughs> Idealistic distortion. Idealistic distortion measures, listen to me, measures the extent to which a person distorts the truth in a positive direction. Ooh, uh, did y'all hear that? It measures the extent to which a person distorts the truth in a positive direction. You know what that means? The whole idea of idealistic distortion emerged out of premarital counseling. And they would bring couples together and they would sit them down and ask them about how they perceive their partner. They would have questions about the relationship. And here it is. Oh, we never fight. Pants on fire. They would say things like, he's perfect. Oh, she's perfect. And idealistic distortion sets in when you distort the truth toward a positive outcome, meaning you have an aversion to dealing with reality and honesty. What we're seeing in the text is an entire nation of people who have an idealistic distortion toward Jesus. Are y'all listening to what I'm, I hope y'all listen to what I'm saying. Can I give you an example of it? Still in Matthew chapter 16, <laughs> Jesus uh, God has just given Peter this revelation of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends Peter, and he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A few verses later, in verse 21, I'm in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Notice, I want you all to see what the text itself says. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says, from that time on, after Peter, by divine revelation, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. From that time on, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Notice what he says. And that he would be killed and raised on the third day. Isn't that the reality? That Jesus wants them to confront. But notice Peter's response. In verse 22, then Peter took Jesus aside. The nerve of Peter. Jesus is having this conversation. Uh, Peter's like, uh, Jesus, let me holler at you right, right quick. Uh, hey, man. 
What's all this suffering talk you're talking about? Ain't you Jesus? How you going to suffer? How going people mistreat you? And you're talking about letting them kill you? No, man. You're the Messiah. You're about to set us free. This ain't about to happen, especially not on my watch. Notice, notice, no, I, I want you, can you put that on the screen? This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Notice what it says. Peter took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus. The New King James says he rebuked Jesus. Notice, not once, not twice, over and over. And how many of us are guilty of idealistic distortion? When God is saying to you, this is my process, this is my pattern, it's not going to be easy, that's what we sign up for. We sign up for a version of Jesus that makes everything easy. Yet Jesus says, if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself. That's why most of us fall off the, quit the team. Give up your right to be right. Give up your dreams. Give up your agenda. Because if you're unwilling to do that, you can't walk with me, bro. Give up your idealistic distortion of what it means to be a disciple. Because not only do you deny yourself, you also take up your own cross. The cross is a place of crucifixion. Where everything that is not like God, everything that is not of God, must die. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not what you expected. And there are people in this room who have become disappointed with God. Let me tell you. Have called it church hurt because you had an idealistic distortion of who you thought Jesus was. Don't get me wrong, a lot of bad people in the church. But even Peter, after walking with Jesus three years, pulled him aside. I got to finish this. I'm going to take my time. I ain't preached in two weeks. Come on, pastor. It says, then Peter took him aside. Keep, keep, keep it up there. Don't, don't keep it up there. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. You know why? It was impossible for Peter to reconcile the inevitable crucifixion of Jesus because it didn't fit the narrative that he had created in his head. Oh, Jesus, if this stuff you say happened to you, what happens to my dream? Notice what Jesus said. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Anything that distorts the will and the purpose of God, even when it is painful, 
originates in Satan. Okay. Let me tell you why this is important. Notice what Jesus says. You are an offense to me. Not talking about Peter. Talking about the spirit by which he was speaking. And here's the crux of the matter. Here's the crux of the matter. If we're going to overcome disappointment with God and man, we have to ask ourselves this simple question. Notice what he says. You are mindful. No, no, go back. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. We will become offended at God and others when we are more mindful of the things of men than we are the things of God. So how did Jesus respond? Let me tell you the fix. If you're dealing with someone who has idealistic distortion of you, come on somebody, y'all been dating six months, everything's perfect. Y'all get married and the next morning you have your first encounter with morning breath. No, 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 yeah. No, you don't like that? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just keeping it real. He's showering now. Don't tell on him. I, I ain't gonna tell on him. Okay. Keep it all real. Right. All right, let me finish this. The fix to idealistic, idealistic distortion. I mean the pretend version of things where we compensate for reality by moving our situation toward positive outcomes because we don't want to deal with reality. Let me tell you what that looks like. Even after Jesus rebuked Peter, Peter still didn't get it. So guess what happened? And we, we're answering this question, who is this man? Because Jesus is saying, I'm not the Messiah you created in your head. So, so, so um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Roman soldiers show up. This whole entourage with the high priest, Caiaphas. And they come to apprehend Jesus. Anybody remember how Peter responded? Peter was gangster with it, y'all. Chopped off the dude's ear. Because in his mind, ain't no Romans gonna do nothing to Jesus on my watch because he came to deliver us. He was ready for a fight. He still didn't get it. He would not accept the version of Jesus that Jesus himself was giving to him. And how many of us won't allow people to be authentically who they are? 
We're talking about Peter, but we do it every day, especially for those of us in the room who married. You know, I see you married. I'm talking to the married people. Just let him be him. Let her be her. I guarantee it will be so much happier. But you're more mindful of the things of men than you are the things of God. So you're offended. I, I, I promise you, last thing I'm going to say. So here it is. Uh, Peter chops off his ear. Guess what Jesus said? and cutting off their heads. No, 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 honestly, that's the movie Peter played in his head. Jesus, I'll start, you finish. Peter was gangster, man. Come on, somebody. Peter came out like, bon qui qui, I will cut you. Come on, bon qui qui, complicated order. <clears throat> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about right now. Some of y'all like, huh? <laughs> Google bound quick, quick. All right. Chopped off this dude's ear, and what did Jesus do? Took that ear, put it back on. Now, the reason I'm going to end here Is because the scripture says, after Jesus was taken, Peter followed him at a distance. In fact, it was Peter and John in John chapter 18. They let John into the court because the high priest knew John, but Peter stayed outside. And hmm. that usually what happens is we're disappointed, we follow from a distance. Three times, Peter denied. Third time, this is what he says, I don't know this man. Now, let me stop there for a second. May I submit to you that what we're seeing in Peter is not Peter denying Jesus because of fear, because if he were truly afraid, he never would have pulled out that knife in the first place and attacked an entire entourage of Roman soldiers. May I submit to you that Peter, who was once so courageous that he would fight and kill for his version of Jesus, is now wrestling with the disappointment of the reality that I don't know this man that will take the ear of somebody I hate and put it back on his head. The man I know is the man that I thought would come and set all of us free. Peter ain't scared, especially not of a young maiden. This little girl saying, I know you. In fact, you talk like a Galilean. He ain't afraid of that little girl, y'all. So, 
what he's wrestling with is he has to confront his own distortion and say the version of Jesus that I thought you would be is not who I see. And how many of us are in a place in our lives that we have said, I don't know this man. When Jesus shows up differently than you thought. The key to overcoming idealistic distortion is, here it is. Did I say I was going to close with this already? Let me rephrase it so y'all can't say I said that already. No, let me, let, me, let me help you. The way you deal with idealistic distortion in your lives, people who try to make you something you're not, is you choose self-actualization. Self-actualization is the realization or the fulfillment of one's potential and abilities. Abraham Maslow said it this way. Self-actualization is the process of becoming everything you are capable of becoming. He goes on to say the ability, self-actualization is the ability to become the best version of yourself. Let me put it in the Ray Harmon translation. Self-actualization. It's where their opinion about you ends and where God's purpose for you begins. Jesus walked in that. And that's why he wasn't moved by the praises or the criticism of men. Whether they liked him or despised him, he was self-actualized. And he understood where the opinions of men ended and God's purpose and plan for his life started. Because if you live for the praise of men, you will die by their criticism. And so, Jesus has to communicate to his disciples in Matthew 16 and Matthew 21 and in John 18. And ultimately to the nation of Israel. So sorry to disappoint you. I'm not what you expected. And sometimes with the relationships and the people in our lives, we have to be honest enough with them. To say, you know what? Maybe I've been living for to please and to accommodate you and make you... Um, uh, Conform to this version of me that you wanted. But maybe today, on Palm Sunday, God just wants you to exhale. And tell the people in your life who love you the most and who you love the most, say, eh, that ain't me. From this day forward, I will choose to be the version of me that God created me to be. Last one, Galatians 1 and 10. Can you put it on the screen? Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. 
Thank you, Father. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. This wasn't in my notes, but they're going to pull it up. These are the words of Paul, who is now self-actualized. Galatians chapter 1. Or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Can I just say this to you? You can't have both. You can't live for the opinions of men and live out your God-ordained dreams. It has to, you have to make a choice. And you have to make that choice to, to deal with the idealistic distortion that you've lived in and confront reality so that God can use you because you are called and you are chosen. Father, would you seal this word in our hearts? Uh, Father, anyone in this room this morning who has been dealing with unmet expectations, either because they were unrealistic, assumed, or never understood. God, would you help us to no longer play peekaboo with the things that are just not right? That God, we would be honest and confront the things that we have tried to, to put makeup on, to put lipstick on. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would do the work, Father, in us. And for everyone, God, who has been, who has allowed, here it is, others to live their lives vicariously through them, God, would you help them break free from the shadow that they've lived under? Expectations from their parents, expectations from their spouse, expectations from their employers. God, would you help us to come to a place in our lives where no matter how loud the crowd shouts one version of who they think we are, when they're saying, hey, you're Elijah, hey, you're John the Baptist, God, would we just be okay being uniquely who you created us to be? We trust you to do that now, Father. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Did that help anybody this morning? Praise the Lord. Worship team, why don't you come? I'm going to reiterate a couple of things that, uh, that you heard earlier. Uh, Resurrection weekend is going to be big for us. So on Good Friday, on Good Friday, which will be this Friday, it's going to be a night of worship. It's also going to be a night when we're going to hear from seven incredible communicators. I'm super excited about that, who are going to be sharing the seven last statements, the seven last words of Jesus. Again, our Easter egg hunt is going to be a community-wide affair. Invite your neighbors, invite your friends. In fact, on your way out, I think the ushers, do the ushers have invite cards? Grab a few of those invite cards. Invite your neighbor, invite your coworkers. If you know someone who has kids, bring them. It's going to be a ton of fun. If you're new to Converge Church and you would like to connect and get to know some people, the Easter egg hunt, Good Friday is a great way to do that. And then listen, on Sunday morning, we're going to pack the house. Invite a friend, invite a coworker, someone who's far away from Jesus. Let me tell you why this is important. We have intentionally 
scheduled water baptisms for the 16th because we believe on Resurrection Sunday we'll have a ton of people making first-time decisions for Christ. And because of that, we want to move them to the next step, which is water baptisms. So let's pack this house out. Come early, all right? Because we're only going to do one service. We're going to pack the building. We're going to have additional seating. We're going to have some overflow seating. But let's pack the house. Pastor Jesse, why don't you come stand with us as we're dismissed. Amen. Well, I pray that this week that you would set your mind on Christ. Say it with me. Set your mind on Christ. Say it again. Set your mind on Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful word today. We're believing and trusting, God, as we set our minds on Christ this week, that we will receive, celebrate, and worship you in every way that we should. God, we're so thankful that we celebrate this holy week. We're so thankful, almighty God, that you have given us your son, Jesus. Bless us this week as we go out now and serve in Jesus' name. Let us all say together, amen. If you were impacted by today's worship experience, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon is exactly what you needed to hear or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we'd love to send you information on how to kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you'd like information about how to join our virtual family, email us at echurchatweareconverged.com. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com forward slash give. You can also give via text. Simply text Converge Give and the dollar amount that you'd like to give to 77977. You can also find all of this information in our mobile app. Simply go to your app or Play Store, search for Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that simple. Again, thank you so much for joining us for today's worship experience and we look forward to staying connected with you.